And oh, Father God, our Father and our God, truly blessed be your name. And Father, blessed are us, your children, that can call out to your name and know the God who is the true and living God. Blessed, blessed is the name. The name that is above every name. The name of your Son, Jesus. The name in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and earth that He is Lord. Blessed be the name, Father, of your Son, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Holy Spirit. Blessed are you that would come and apply the Father's love to us and the work of your Son, of the Son, so that we can have life and life abundantly. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in us. Thank you for the deposit that you are, guaranteeing the Father's love and guaranteeing the Son's return. Blessed be your word. It's living and active. And Father, we thank you that we, your people, are blessed to have this word. And Father, we ask that through the power of the blessed Spirit and the work of the blessed Son, that you would send the blessed Spirit into this room so that the preaching of your word would be blessed. Father, the preacher needs so much the forgiveness found in the blood of Christ Jesus. Father, I have nothing to say that is blessed on my own. But Father, choose to use me as your instrument. Open up our ears to hear from you, the blessed one. Spirit, illumine our minds so that we can understand of how blessed our God is and how blessed we are in Christ Jesus. Father, shape our hearts to make us more like your blessed Son. Empower our feet so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the blessed gospel. And Father, the things that aren't blessed, the things that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory, that we receive great joy and great challenge. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. It was about a month ago, really about almost exactly a month ago, that I was over spending some time by myself with the Lord uh, over at the beach wrestling with this upcoming year uh, sermon series, the one that I'm tremendously excited for and about. It'll start next week. But as I was away and I was reflecting on where we are as a church and who we are as a church and what God would have this church do and be for the upcoming year, He really pressed upon me an incredible message that I needed to hear. A message that we'll see out of 2 Corinthians 8. Again, I think it was more for me than you, but because God called me to and gave me the great privilege of being your preacher, I know it's for you too. It's a message of of great challenge. And Lord willing, He will come with power and challenge each one of us. But as we begin, i got a question. 
what is up with cows these days? I mean, what is up with cows? Have you seen the, uh, the price of milk? Uh, have they joined a new union that we didn't know about? Has the mad cow disease really, really, really gotten them mad and angry? I mean, over four bucks for a gallon of milk. And if you are like the Jakes's, uh, you can't even keep a gallon of milk in your household for one day. It's an amazing expense. Well, back in a day gone by during World War II, this is how we bought our milk in glass milk containers. Matter of fact, this one came with cream on the top, a little extra piece here for the cream to come to the top. Milk would be uh, inside here. How long would this last in your household? And how many times we have to clean up the glass shattered on the floor? But it's interesting to me, uh, my, my dad has collected milk bottles. He collected these during the, uh, uh, a certain era of World War II, specifically those that had slogans on them. Because as you went to the grocery store during a time of world war, during a time where our nation truly was at war, in peril, fighting for their lives, fighting for their existence, even milk had a slogan. And more than it's just good for you, more than the fact that you have to consume it. Nowadays, the slogans we have about milk are usually about us. They're usually about how we need the calcium and how they make strong bones and, and whiter teeth and bigger smiles. But back in the day of bombs and sending our, our young men off to war, there were messages that were even put on milk bottles that reminded us of a greater war than our own. They reminded us that our life was a part of something bigger. Matter of fact, this one says victory. Victory comes a little closer every time you buy a war bond. Victory comes a little closer every time you buy a a war bond. Sometimes they'll have a V for victory. And they will tell us, invest. Invest so we can keep them flying. Keep our boys flying. Keep our boys fighting. Bring our boys back soon. It was a time in our nation's history where some have called it the greatest generation the greatest generation for what they were willing to sacrifice for a cause so much greater than their own. The ancient church knew what it was like to have personal sacrifice for a war effort. But really, the war effort wasn't a world war. It was something so much bigger. The same war the church is engaged in today, cosmic war, for Christ and His kingdom. To fight for the reign and rule of Christ here on earth as it is in heaven. And this war wasn't just for the early church. And kind of like we feel sometimes about the war in Iraq, it's just over there. Unless we have a loved one that's there, unless we know someone who is in harm's way, for the most part, except maybe for a few minutes on the TV during the news in the evening, we forget about it. And really, it doesn't affect our daily lives. It's a war that's taking place over there. And it really doesn't cause much for me to sacrifice. I don't have to sacrifice at all. Matter of fact, most times I just forget about it. You see, what the enemy would love for us to do, us being the church, is for us to forget that we too are in a battle. We too are in a war. That we too are called to be on war footing for Christ and His kingdom. 
that we are called to sacrifice and to give for the cause of Christ. And that whatever God has given to us, that we should invest into the kingdom so that more will know and love Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's with this mindset, it's with this mindset of giving and sacrificing for the cause of Christ that Paul is going to tell the the church in Corinth about another church and how they're sacrificing for the war effort. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And together we're going to read verses 1 through 9. I'll read aloud. You read along with me silently. The words will be on the screen. Even this morning, uh, Reggie read to us a portion of this. And we'll also go from there to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let us be mindful that Jesus, our warrior and our king, has given us this holy word, inerrant and infallible. Paul writes, through the inspiration of the Spirit, 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Those churches include Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Those are the churches in Macedonia. So we, God, uh, Paul is saying that he wants us to know, the church in Corinth and for us today, to know about the grace of God that has been given among the, these churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, the relief of a famine that is swept through Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in the church of Corinth they excelled in so many things, as you excel in everything, like us here at Orangewood, we too, by God's grace, excel in so many things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And here's the incredible hinge. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, through his poverty, might become rich. And now, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, he will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray again. Father God, truly come with power and bless the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. The question for us, and really the question that every pastor really wants to know, 
and every church really should discover is what was this grace, this gift that was given among the churches of Macedonia that would produce, and here's what it produced. God had given them grace. He had given them unmerited favor, an unmerited gift, and this grace of God would produce in them some an incredible amount of uncommon joy. They were so joyful. As a matter of fact, this abundant joy is an overflowing joy. This is, this is a life that is being lived that just no matter what happens, no, wonder, no matter what trial, no matter what comes their way, joy is what is coming out of their lives. They're counting it all joy. How do you have this kind of uncommon joy? Are you just out of touch reality? Is life really that good? Especially when you look into this church and you hear about severe trust testing and trials. But they not only had an uncommon joy, they also had an uncommon generosity. For even out of their poverty, they were giving. One commentator says this, and I think this sums up their mindset about this uncommon joy and this uncommon generosity this way. Listen. Their poverty no more impeded their generosity than their tribulation diminished their joy. Their poverty, their poverty no more impeded their generosity than their tribulation, severe tribulation to death diminished their joy. Talk about an uncommon joy. An abundance, an overflowing of joy in the midst of severe affliction. And this is what they were going through. Acts chapter 18 focuses on some of the affliction that was happening in the early church right into these Macedonian churches. There were some being put to death. They were being put to death for following Jesus Christ in public. And if you look at Acts 18, verse 17, it'll say that even the city officials were there. They were watching brutality take place, and they were doing nothing about it. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate when you see brutality taking place, and you see those that are supposed to be in authority just turn their back? How would it feel for the early church? How would it feel for us if we were being persecuted here in Maitland? Persecuted, Some were being dragged out and killed, beaten for our faith. And having law enforcement officers, having the government basically turn their back and say, go ahead. And yet, this is, this is a picture, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is severe affliction. I mean, severe affliction. People they know and love are being hurt, killed. They're losing all things. And it was at this time they had an abundance of joy. You see, they they had a hope. Do you have it? They had a hope that was greater than even their trials. The only way we'll ever have joy in the midst of the struggle of life, is it not a struggle? And even this week, I was just reminded of what a a struggle. Much pain, just, just inside of me. But it was in the midst of this that they had a hope that was greater than all of their trials, like Job. And you read through Job, this, this incredible book in the middle of the Bible, about a man who said, blessed be the name of the Lord, who truly could say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
And the Lord had taken away his health, had taken away his possessions, had taken away his family. And his wife says, curse God and die, Job. He says, I can't do that. Because blessed be the name of the Lord. And you want to say, Job, are you delusional? Job, have you just lost touch? I mean, what is it with you, Job, that you can say, blessed be the name of the Lord in the midst of all of it? It's when you get to that point in Job where he says this, but I know, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know I'm going to see him face to face in the land of the living. Do you know that hope? Do you know that hope that your Redeemer lives? Without that, you'll never have this uncommon joy. But that's what they had. They had hope that surpassed even their trials. But they not only had uncommon joy, they also had uncommon generosity. A wealth of generosity in the midst of extreme poverty. I love the poetry that Paul is using here. I mean, he is painting a picture that's very clear. And the way he's saying, this isn't just a small trial. This is severe affliction. And this isn't just a little bit of poverty. This is... Really, the extreme poverty saying, it's gone. It's, it's empty. You've reached rock bottom. Have you ever been there? I mean, real poverty? For most of us, we never really have. Maybe a time in our life where we just couldn't do a little bit more. We had to wait a little bit longer until we splurged on that one thing we really wanted. I mean, I don't know this kind of extreme poverty. I really don't. I mean, this is extreme poverty where... Uh, it is truly rock bottom, but it's at rock bottom where there is a wealth of generosity. How can they do that? Well, really, they realize, kind of like those of the greatest generation, that there was a cause that was greater than their own, that they were supporting a war expense, and they were willing to sacrifice personal gain. I love what it says about their generosity here. You know what it says? It says this. We didn't need any televangelists to tell them to give. Nobody with big hair, promising big blessings, saying you got to give or you're going to break out in a rash we can't identify. You really don't want to take God off here. You know, I, I got to confess, we preachers, we, we've, over the history of the church, have done some pretty bad things trying to get God's people to respond. But that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't need any of those gimmicks. When our hearts are inflamed with Jesus, we don't need any of those gimmicks. As a matter of fact, they didn't even need a preacher to come tell them to give. They didn't need the apostles to come and say, now, we want you to do this. This is something that they gave on their own free will. There was something happening in their lives. Jesus was speaking so clearly to them that they didn't need an outside voice telling them, open up your wallet. They had the Holy Spirit saying, there's something bigger that's happening here that you have the privilege of being a part of. That I am going to give you the incredible privilege of investing in. And they gave. And they gave. And they gave. Beyond their means. Have you ever... I've never given that much. I mean, I, I like to say that I've stared at it a few times. But this is, this is, this, this is a sacrifice. This is basically saying, I'm giving till it hurts. And I guess in extreme poverty, anything you give is going to be giving to the hurt, to your hurt. 
But this is giving beyond their means. This, this is faith giving. This is saying, God, this is next month's mortgage, but you've tugged this on my heart. I'm giving it in trust. God, this is the security that I have for my kids. I'm giving it to the kingdom and the cause. They gave beyond their means. And you ready for this? Verse 4. They begged to give. (laughs) They begged for the favor of giving. They didn't want to be left out. I mean, they, they knew that the Holy Spirit had come with power at Pentecost in Jerusalem. They knew that they were God's witnesses to tell His story in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And now Jerusalem was hurting. And they knew that in Christ, there is no, no more slave, there is no more Greek, there is no more Jew, that we are all now one in Christ. They knew by God's grace that they were part of God's family, that God has lavished the love upon them. They knew that what they had in Christ Jesus could never be taken away. And they knew that they were on world mission for Jesus. And so they begged to be a part of it. Listen, we want to be a part of what God's doing. We we, we want God to use our means. We want God to use our voice. We want God to use our offering to bring relief to others so more will, will be able to know and hear about Jesus. They begged for the permission, for the favor of participating. What kind of love is that? What kind of walk with Christ is that? Where really they say, we don't want to miss this. Has there ever been a cause that you would beg for to give? Has there there ever been a point in your life where you wanted in? Maybe it was an investment. You know those things that you need starting off on the ground level and you know it's going to hit. And you know that there's a couple guys and a couple, couple real gifted business leaders and, and they know that something's happening. You're begging to get in. I saw a couple of you point at each other. So there's something obviously a couple of you all know. And he's begging for the opportunity because, you know, there's going to be something good here. I want, I want in on the ground floor. I want to be on the ground floor because I want to shape this deal and I want to be able to uh, drink the champagne when, when the riches come. And this is the early church in a spiritual say, way saying, I want in. I want into the kingdom. I want to give. Because Jesus is doing something here that's changing the world. And there's investments that are paying dividends in eternal life for the glory of the King. And we're going to beg to give. How? What, what is this grace? How do you have this grace of God given? And really, this, this is it. And if we miss this, go home and we failed. How can they have this grace that leads them this way? What's well, this? They knew the grace of God. And they knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's verse 9. It's verse 9 that was more than just a verse on the page. It was a reality in their life. For they knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that By his poverty or through his poverty. Or listen, this is what it's saying. Jesus was rich. He became poor. And because he became poor through his poverty, we might become 
rich. All right, how is Jesus rich? You know, we sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, and he's born in that little manger, and he's a savior and a man of no reputation. He says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but he's got nowhere to lay his head. He basically had no possessions when he died. That's poverty. All that they had, it was going to be gambled out at the foot of the cross. How was Jesus rich? Because earthly speaking, humanly speaking, he knew nothing but poverty. Even when early on in his life, when Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple and offered a sacrifice uh, for opening the womb, which is always happens in the, in the, in the uh, Israelite tradition, they brought a pigeon. They couldn't afford anything bigger. They couldn't afford a, a, a lamb. They could only afford a pigeon. He knew poverty. You see, oh, Jesus was rich. Jesus was rich. Jesus is creator of all things. Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Jesus in the counsel of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was want of nothing. Did you understand that? Jesus in the heavenly realms had all that he would ever want and ever need. The heavenly host singing his praises, worshiping him, bowing before him. He truly was rich as God Almighty. And yet he became poor. And the way he became poor is he became one of us. He became poor by taking on flesh, by becoming fully God and fully man. In doing so, he emptied out himself of all but love. He set aside that glory still remaining fully God, still being fully man, and became poor for us. Philippians 2, verse 5, says it this way. Have the same mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, the form here, the exact representation, being God himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, you know, the riches that he had, that he rightfully had as God Almighty, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, how he became poor. And the depths of his poverty, listen, the depths of his poverty would take him to become a naked curse on a cross. Our sin. That's how poor he would become. So that through that poverty, we could become rich. Now we got, we got to do some important business here. What does it mean that we are rich? Because clearly this is not talking about earthly riches, Right? Because where did the church in Macedonia find themselves? In extreme poverty. 
I just just kills me to see the TV and, and, to, and to hear those who will say, trust in Jesus, give your life to Him. He became poor so that you and I could become materially wealthy here on earth. So that we can taste the good things of life here on earth. My Bible says anyone who desires to, re- to live a godly life will be persecuted in Christ Jesus. It says clearly that if we are to follow Him, we must die to ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow Him daily. This is talking about what Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. That we are blessed in Christ Jesus with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. This means that we are adopted sons and daughters of the King. We have an inheritance that will never fade away. This means that our position in Christ will never be tarnished. He'll never stop loving us. He'll never stop protecting us. But it means nothing necessarily about earthly wealth. As a matter of fact, it was because of the early church and the churches in Macedonia following Jesus that they were poor. It was because they were following Christ that they were persecuted. This is what led them to follow Christ because they had a life that was changed. And now they watched all of their worldly wealth be stolen and robbed and crumbled following Jesus. And even their very lives were in peril. So when you hear someone say, follow Jesus because he wants you to drive a fancier car and live in a bigger house, say, that's not a gospel I know. And that's not a Jesus I know. Because he wants to give us something so much greater than earthly riches that will tarnish and fade away. Riches that are in Christ Jesus himself. The early church, they were persecuted for following Christ, and yet they knew that they were rich. What was the response? You see, this is so key. Here we see uncommon joy, uncommon giving. Um, Here we know of God's uncommon grace in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ that hinges this whole thing. And what is our response? It's in verse 5. You see, they gave themselves first. To the Lord. That's where it begins, my brothers and sisters. It doesn't begin in ministry. It doesn't begin in giving our tithes and offerings. It doesn't begin in this gift. It doesn't begin in our acts and our deeds. It begins with surrender. It begins with our giving ourselves to the Lord, realizing that you and me, we're we're, we're sinners, that we've fallen short of God's glory. Realizing that God has provided for us that we couldn't reach out to God, but He reached down to us. And He'd love us so much that He'd become one of us. Do you know that love? Do you know that grace? You see, it's what happened in the early church was they realized that as they repented of their sins and as they gave their hearts to God in Christ Jesus in faith, that they have new life. If you're here today, this morning, and you don't have this new life and this new identity, it begins here. It begins here by surrendering yourself to the Lord, by giving first of yourself. Because nothing else will matter unless you do this. But as you give yourself to the Lord, Scripture says an amazing thing happens. We gain a new identity. In Christ Jesus, we are new creatures. 
The old is gone, that old sinful nature and, and all of God's wrath because of that sinful nature and the death that comes with that. It's all gone. It's been nailed to the cross. And we've been set free. And we have a new nature and a new identity. Now we're God's children. New life has been given to us. Have you yet given yourself to the Lord? Start here. Start here. This is where it begins. This is where the journey begins. This is how we respond to God's uncommon gift to us and His Son, Jesus. And today, if today is the day, for those of you who have yet to do it, surrender to Him, the merciful God. Give your life to Christ. Find that new life because in Jesus is life and life abundantly. But listen, they first gave themselves to the Lord. For those of us, by God's grace, who have, who have done that, they realize more and more they have a new identity. Their identity was in Christ Jesus. And listen, their identity was no longer in their stuff. Their identity was not in their money. It wasn't in their status. It wasn't in their position. Their identity really was in Christ Jesus. And you know what happens to us when the Holy Spirit comes with power and we know our identity in Christ Jesus. We hold everything else like this loosely. I don't have to hang on to my money because my identity is not found there. That is not who I am. This will not define who I am. I don't have to hold on to position or fame or fortune or anything else. My identity is in Christ, is yours. And when it is in Christ, we freely give, we freely respond. We have a new security. Our security is no more than in the world's wealth. That's not our security. It doesn't matter what our 401k says. It doesn't matter about our retirement account. It doesn't matter about our bank account. It doesn't matter what our our business cards say our title is. It doesn't matter what a world would say is our security. Because our security is in the unchanging God. It's in Jesus Christ. It's a security that truly is impenetrable. And when we have Jesus as our security, everything else can be given away and held very loosely. we got to get this, church. We have to get this. Because even as Christians, we, 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 we want to believe a lie that, that, okay, we can hang on to Jesus, but we want to hang on to, 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 to this, and we want to hang on to that, because that's really some identity and security. I, I, I can't let this go. Had an incredible story last week of one of you coming up to me in, in a severe trial of his own, where things were about as bad for him as they've ever been. And God said to him, You know that investment I gave you a while ago? You know that inheritance you got? I want you to use it to pay off your debts. No, no, I can't do that. that, that that's about all I got left. It's about all I have. I can't anything but that. Give it. And trust me. And with joy and a smile, he was able to say, I responded in faith. You see, when, when our identity and our security is in Christ Jesus, we give to the Lord. We give ourselves to the Lord, responding to him. Have you given yourself to the Lord? I mean, fully. Have you given yourself to the Lord in all areas of your life? Is Christ really your identity? Or is your identity more about what your title is from Monday to Friday? I mean, 
Is Jesus really your security? Is he really your security or is it, is it what you have in retirement or in the bank? And maybe the question we really need to ask is Jesus really our cause? You see, they gave themselves first to the Lord, but then they gave themselves to his mission. Blood money. Blood money is money gained from the death of another. I thought about that and I realized, you know, I think the early church understood that everything they had was blood money. Every talent they had was blood money. All they had was blood money. The blood of Christ Jesus had set them free, had given them a new life, a new identity, a new security. And they looked at it and they just said, it's the blood of Christ that's not mine. i got to invest this in King Jesus and give to his mission. You see, they had a new cause that was greater than their own. They could truly say, it's about Christ and his kingdom. It's not about me. It's about Christ and his kingdom and living for a cause so much greater than just our own. Okay, what's the response to this? I think there's a response for each one of us. And I know God's, listen, he did work with me before he's doing work with you. Let's talk. Have you given yourself first to the Lord? Well, Christian, For those of you who are not Christian, try to make it clear. Your response to this message is give yourself to the Lord. Confess your sins and embrace Him as Savior. And find that new life in Christ. Even today, even now, in the quietness of your heart. Just pray and ask for forgiveness and ask Him to come in to your life and give you this new life and this new identity and this new hope. If you do, come tell me or come tell one of the pastors or elders so we can pray for you. But for the rest of us, for those of us that are his, are you first giving yourself to the Lord? Here's how you can tell. Are you tithing? I mean, do you really believe it? And is God really your security and your identity? Can you you look into your life and say, you know, I believe Scripture tells very, very clearly. Malachi 3, Malachi 3 says this. Malachi 3, the last book of the Old Testament. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, Malachi 3.8. But you say, how have I robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. God says this, unbelievably. Bring your tithes here to the storehouse and put God to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Remember, we talked about we don't believe in this health, wealth, and prosperity garbage. God's going to give us blessings beyond measure in Christ Jesus. Are you tithing? Have you given yourself fully to the Lord? That's what it means. It means 10% of your gross income 
going first and foremost saying, Jesus, you are my identity, you are my security, you are my life, and I, with love, I'm bringing it to the storehouse and saying, I love you and I trust you and I believe in you. If you're not tithing, I want to challenge you. Next week, for one Sunday, one Sunday, it says you're robbing them if you're not, but for one Sunday next week, will you pray about it? One week. I'm asking you for one week to respond. For those of you who aren't tithing, tithe next week. If you're not paid on a weekly basis, figure out what it would be for 50, you know, a 152nd or part of your salary. What it would be. Some of you don't get paid to the end of the year. I'm challenging you. Tithe next Sunday if you're not. Test God in this. Spend time in prayer. Pray. Say, God, I want to I follow you. I want to be obedient. This is 10% gross income saying that we're going to trust God. Listen, this church finished the year $350,000 in the red. And I know that if we respond in God's word and to his leading, that's going to be in the rearview mirror. Secondly, if you are tithing, let me ask you this. That's giving first to the Lord. Second, giving to his ministry. Giving to uh, his mission. If you are tithing, if you're not, listen, if you're not, the whole deal is for you Pray about that for next week. I want to talk to those of you who are tithing. Thank you for obeying the Lord. Let me ask for those of you who are tithing and yet to give to our Growing Strong campaign. I'm going to ask you to give next week. I'm going to ask you to spend this entire week and pray. And say, God, how can I respond to your work at Orangewood? Let me tell you, I'm so excited about this education building. In BA, we're we're, we're going to open up a new preschool uh, we already have 250 students, every, children, every Sunday that we're ministering to. We had to turn people away from VBS this year. And we are so excited about a, a, a community outreach preschool that's going to reach into our community. If you haven't given to our capital campaign, our Growing Strong campaign, I'm going to ask you to pray about it this week. And you're already tithing. First, start there. And ask God, what should I give? We're about $400,000 behind. And I'd love to see God powerfully work in that as well. But for those of you who have given, and for those of you who are tithing, God has something more for us. And this is what he broke my heart a few weeks ago when I realized where we were. And he put on my heart that it's time to give more. We have to give to those who need financial support more than we do. And so you'll see an insert in your bulletin that we're going to collect a a special offering next week for three things, three main things. One is this, Restore Hope Orlando. Uh, They have some some needs down there with their physical plant. Um, A new roof, I believe. You'll see some things there. Uh, We're going to take an offering and then we're going to give it away. And then that's going to be part of it. Secondly, it's going to be the Acapulco uh, Children's Home, Casa Hogar. And many of us have had the privilege of being down there for the years and years. Uh, just their, their need for a new dormitory, their need for new facilities, uh, we're going to, to give there as well. And the third area is going to be on local churches, to our own church plant. And the greatest opportunity we have, and just so excited to see Ted and Tricia raised up here and taking a group of you and some of you praying about how do I advance Christ's kingdom by being a part of a church plant and, and, and using, uh, uh, going to a new area and raising up a congregation of worshipers. We're going to set some money aside 
for church planting. And I tell you, this church plant downtown is just the beginning. If we really get this stuff, if we really want to give it away, we really want to invest in the kingdom, it's just a start. We better become a church planting machine. That's my heart, heart's prayer. And some of us are going to have to continue to pray, God, am I serving the king here? Or am I serving the king somewhere else in your name? Because it's all for Christ in this kingdom. You know, as I, was, as I was there thinking about local churches, it was really local churches that broke my heart as to giving. And I thought about the Eatonville churches. And simultaneously, Robert thought about the same deal. Not just with church planning, but do you know that there's some Eatonville pastors that have paychecks on their desks that they've never cashed because they don't have the money to? They know it's in the church fund. And what's on my heart is I have the privilege of going every year to the National Pastors Convention. And that's a highlight for me. But I'd love to be able to go to some of them and say, hey, how can we bless you? We want to bless you. Can we send you the National Pastors Convention? Can we pay your expenses? Because we'd like you to have that same blessing. Maybe there's another need they have. Maybe it won't be that. That's, I kind of have this dream of having several of the Eatonville pastors go with me. That's an offering that we're going to give um, next week. Scripture says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand gives. And you know, I, I think you all know this. I don't know who gives what. I really don't. I don't look. I don't know because I never want to treat you differently. I want to be able to look you in the eye and say, I love you. And you never have to wonder, does he love me because I'm giving? Or is he, is he, is he close to me because I'm not? I don't know what you give. And you don't know what I give. But I believe God's telling me, me to tell you, I'm going to give a thousand bucks next week. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to say, God, I believe you. And he, he broke my heart a month ago. And this is not something I had set aside just to, just to, just to bear fruit. It's something we had to adjust to make happen. But I, I believe that now's the time in the midst of our financial struggle to give and give boldly to the kingdom and the cause of Christ. So there's the challenge. Where are you? We're going to need some prayer of this as well. We're going to ask uh, you all, all to pray. This is a great weekend for it. Fusion's coming up. About 10% of you all have responded to give, not just of your, your money, but your talents and your time with, with Fusion. Uh, we want 100%, so please go online, see for the opportunities that are still there. We have our 5K race here. We have enough volunteers, praise the Lord, but come run. We need runners. So for those of you who can make it, um, literally, please come. But remember, remember, my brothers and sisters, you know what Scripture doesn't tell us about? The size of the gift. It doesn't tell us. It tells us the attitude of the givers. Let's keep them flying. We got a war effort here, here at Orangewood. We got a war effort that's bigger than us. Let's keep them flying, invest in the kingdom, not just here, but just uh, uh, around our city and around our world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they come up, let me uh, ask you to take that insert out in the bulletin because we're not just going to pray or give. We're going to pray as well. And this is going to uh, um, tell you about the needs uh, of this uncommon given challenge of Restore Hope Orlando, of church plants. Some of you play for Eatonville and also for the Acapulco Children's Home. And I want you to take this home with you this week and pray. Use this as a reminder. Take, pray all week. Listen, on Thursday, we're going to have a special time at 7.15 for prayer. Uh, right in the midst of a band of brothers, we're going to stop. We're going to invite all the women, uh, children, anybody wants to come, we're going to pray. God, what do you want us to do? How do you want me to respond to this? 
Have you found your life and identity in Christ? Respond. Pray, God, how will you have me respond to this? And let's have the incredible privilege of being used by God. Unbelievably, and can it be, and can it be that we should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused this pain. If the whole realm of nature were mine, it'd be a gift far too small to give to the one who has given his very life to me. Will you join me in prayer? Let's, let's pray. Let's pray together. I, I'll start us in prayer. But maybe look at this. and just A couple more sentences, prayers of, of uh, praying for these ministries and praying for this church as well. Let me lead us, and then you please join me. Father God, we thank you for an uncommon grace that was demonstrated to sinners like us. That your son Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of this grace that has changed our lives, that has changed our identity, that has changed our security. And thank you, Father, for the churches in Macedonia that are modeling for us, as they did for the church in Corinth, how to respond to your gift of grace by saying we beg for the privilege of investing in the King. God, hear our prayers now as we pray for those around us and for ourselves. We pray in Christ's name. I need some of you to pray for Restore. Let's pray for Restore Hope Orlando. Some of you pray for the Acapulco Children's Home. I need a couple of you to pray for the church plant and for other church plants and for our local churches around us. Father, I too pray for those that you have laid uh, a burden on their heart to pray um, for where they should go to serve the King. And Father, I pray for each one of us that, God, you would truly speak this week. Give us boldness. For those that are hearing your voice and tugging, just for this one week of challenge, one week to tithe. And Father, for those who are hearing the challenge to give to the Growing Strong campaign, that whatever it is that has kept them from giving, that, God, they'd set it aside and give. And Father, for those who have been faithful in those two arenas, that they would join what your spirit has done in my heart and give generously to those around us. But God, we don't want to just give, we want to pray. We want to remember. God, would you please be with the churches around us that are without a senior pastor like St. Paul's PCA Church, University PCA Church. God, we ask that you continue to do great things through David Youth and First Baptist downtown. Thank you for David Swanson and First Prez. God, thank you for Joel Hunter and Northland Community. And God, would you please alleviate their debt and bless them. And God, bless all the churches that are proclaiming the good news of Christ. Truly, it's an amazing love that you have given to us, Father. We respond. We respond because of what you have done through us, through your grace, through the work of your Son, and the power of your Spirit. And God's people said, 
Amen. Stand up and let's sing together this amazing grace.